Here's the deal. I'm going to set the stage. You're going to see a friend of mine. He's making his way up here to the stage. His name is Mr. Thomas, as I like to call him, but he likes for me to call him Jonathan. So this is a friend of mine, an intercessor of mine, Mr. Jonathan, that I spend a lot of time with. I'm going to talk a little bit more about him in a few minutes of why he's up here. I want to hit the ground running. I don't want to waste any more of your time because uh, I know that you guys have a lot of stuff this afternoon. It's going to be sunny, a little cool. We want to get out of here in a decent amount of time. So you're probably going to get out of here around three o'clock today. So you're in good shape. Um, listen, we're going to see where this thing goes. It was, it was fun last service. Um, we're getting ready to hit you just square in the face or gut, whatever you prefer. And just listen, if you're not a regular here at Hope City, if like this is like you're a guest and you just sort of like wanted to see what all this was about and or your friend's been on you to bring you to church. Listen, we are very honest and very real in this place. I know that there are some of you in this place and you're at rock bottom. Like some of the things that have brought you into this place, you're at rock bottom. And I just want you to hear this, that rock bottom does not define who you are. Okay, rock bottom, where you are, where some of you are right now, because your marriage is in the shambles, your finances are in shambles, or your relationships, or you name it, are in shambles. Listen, I'm not celebrating the fact that you're rock bottom, because I know rock bottom does not identify you. Okay? What you do next is going to identify you. Are we all agreeing with that? Cool? Here's some things, and you've seen us over the last few weeks, we've been on this like this series of stuff that I've tried to label what God has taken me through. I want to share it with you guys so that we all prosper, right? Like where I'm at, and I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone in this room, no. But where I am is where I want every single one of you to be. Listen, can I just say this? Where I am in my relationship with my wife, I want every one of you to be. Because I know that God has brought me through a journey Got me into this place. Life is really good. Does that mean everything is roses in my life? No. I have a 15-year-old all the way down to a 3-year-old. Life is not always smelling good like roses. It just isn't. You should get in our van with us once in a while. I will tell you it does not smell good all the time. But God has brought me through some dark periods over even the last few months of looking into who this guy really is. And I did not like who I saw. Holy Spirit loves me so much that he guided me into this place in my life today. And listen, I want to share it with every single one of you. And so I've walked through this journey because Pastor Bradley came into my office about four months ago and he said, Scott, you need to be able to articulate and draw this out, what God has done in your life so that we as a church can also go in this direction. And as I prayed about it and I heeded his phenomenal advice, I said, God, what are you doing? And he said, Scott, I'm shoring up your worthiness. Remember that word? your worthiness. And then it went to my identity in Christ alone, my title, my position, what I do at Hope City or whatever you do in this community does not determine your identity. Newsflash, some of you right now are, you're struggling at home and you're struggling at work and you're just struggling in every area of your life. And you think that that is how you are identified. You think that's how people see you. No, Your identity does not change because circumstances around you are changing. Your identity is found in one person and his name is Jesus. So if you want to know more about your identity, go to James, I mean, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, read any one of those four books. You read one of those and every time it talks about Jesus, 
highlight it in yellow, and then go back and look at it, and you're looking at your new identity. Okay? Jesus Christ lacked nothing, and neither do you. Some of us just have not realized it yet. So I talked about our worthiness and our identities found in Christ. I talked about our calling, that our calling is not just a profession. Um, Preachers are not the only one called by God. Um, Calling is not about your profession. It's about your assignment. And all of our assignments, whether you're a teacher, whether you're retired, or whether you're a preacher, the assignment is the same. You are to host the presence of God really well. And that's what we're wanting to teach in this journey over about the next 25 years of what it looks like to host the presence of the Holy Spirit really well. Host the presence and say yes to the Father. That's your assignment. Whatever God asks you to do, say yes to it. All right? That's our calling. And then um, today, here we're getting ready to take off, is the equipping part. Like So we've got to equip each other. In this thing, this journey that God has placed us on. For us to host the presence and say yes to the Father. For our identity and worthiness to never be shaken. Even though we screw this thing up. We have got to be equipped for this journey. And what some of us in this room do not realize. Is that we have been being equipped all along. We've just never seen some of the events and seasons in our life as equipping seasons. I'm not going to teach out of the Bible today so you can send all those emails that, well, he didn't even read a passage of Scripture. He didn't even read the Bible. He didn't read the King James Version translation of it. All those emails can go to Pastor Bradley. At <laughs> Josh, you want them? Let's give them to Mima. She's not in here. She should be in here. M. Byerly at HopeCityNC.com is her email address. No, because the author of every one of those stories, God, is still writing stories to this day. Oh, good. We're good. We're good then. She's not going to get an email. Sweet. And so I have a friend of mine here today that is sharing. He's not just a friend. He's someone that I highly respect. I look up to him. We spend, what, three to four Mornings a month hanging out, just no agenda, and we just talk, don't we? We don't come with, hey, this is what I want to get accomplished, Scott. This is what you're doing wrong. Hey, hey, Jonathan, can you do this for me? It's literally, we meet at 6 a.m. in my office, and the Holy Spirit just takes over, and we just go with the flow, literally. So, side note is many of us men in this room, men, we're going through life alone. And you were never designed to go through this life alone. You need someone in your life, men, and I'm not trying to tell you this to to justify the fact that I sometimes feel like a wuss. No. Listen, I am telling you, men, if you're in the room and you're going through it by yourself and you don't have someone to sit here and just say, man, help me, what do I do? do? I I need some help with this thing. If you don't have someone who is in your life who loves you just as much as they love themselves, then you're going about this thing. Listen, I'll just say it the wrong way. Men, you need someone in your life to journey with, to glean from, to learn from. And then he prays for me and my family in this ministry every day. It's like the cherry on top. He's up here today as a friend, as someone I respect, as an intercessor. But he's here today to tell you, tell you a part of his season 
And again, today's topic is being equipped. Some of us in this room, and you've seen me draw this before, it'll be on the side screens much clearer, but I just like drawing it. I feel sort of like Bob, uh, what was his name, the dude, the paint, Bob huh, Ross? Yeah, he's, he speaks me way calmer than I do. And, and then it's beautiful. I'm like, I love it. So I just like doing this, even though I can't draw. But this is life, man. Some of you guys are right here right now. And if you're here at the top, you know what you need to do right now? You need to thank Jesus for that. Like, if you're good, you need to not only thank Jesus for that, but you like need to go and share the love with someone else. There may be someone sitting beside of you that needs some of your love. Me need some of your encouragement. May need to let, you may need to let them know what it feels like to be down here, but now you're up here. So this is the thing that we call the journey of life, and sometimes there's dramatic spikes, and sometimes there's dramatic drops. But it just goes as long as we have a breath, and it continues. This is life. And I'm going to circle rock bottom Some of you are there right now. But what I want to accomplish over just the next literally 40 some minutes is I want us to see that even though life may be on a downward spiral, life may be ticking downward. It's in these moments It's in these seasons that some of the greatest equipping opportunities take place. God is not here to hurt you. I don't believe in karma and you shouldn't either. God is not giving you what you deserve because you have done something wrong. Let me say this in the church. We're in the South. God has called us to change the entire culture of religion in the South. This right here is not because you sinned and God is paying you back. Now, side note, your sin does have earthly consequences. If you come into my house uninvited to do harm to my wife, there's going to be some consequences By her, not even me. Like, you're going to have to deal with her. There are earthly consequences to sin. Now, we've been teaching here for over a year or two now that, like, the blood of Jesus, Jesus' finished work on the cross is complete and perfect. So God is not punishing you for your sins. Some of you actually just walked into my house uninvited and wanted to hurt me and my family and my wife got a hold of you. That's earthly consequences to sinful acts. What I want us to see here this morning as we are talking about being equipped for this journey called life, that these downward moments, downward seasons, very difficult places are not to harm us, But God uses them to equip us. So I want you to view this through the lens of your finances. Some of your finances are right here. I want you to view this through the lens of your marriage. Some of your marriages are right here today. 
I want you to view this through the view, the lens of your own life and you fill in the blank, but some of you are right here today and you think, what have I done wrong? Why is God mad at me? And why did God do this to me? No. What I need you to know is that you're right here. This point does not define you. What you do next will. And so my friend, Jonathan Thomas, you have a season, don't you? that you're going to share with us. And I, I, I say this and I tread very lightly where we're getting ready to go. This right here is a man that I respect and I love him and Miss Diane. I love his wife. I love him. I love his three children. Way too much for this to be an emotional sermon illustration. This is a journey that started back in 1985 that he is going to share with you. He's going to share it with respect for other family members. And he's going to share it honoring what God has done in a very difficult season. And so I want you to give him your attention. And I want you just to walk us through. And me and him are going to just have conversation. I'm going to interrupt him and I'm going to ask some questions. But at the end of this thing today, there's one thing that I want accomplished is that I want you to know that hope is a real thing. Hope is not a mask that we put on here at this church acting like everything is okay. Hope is not a mask. Hope is a mindset. But it only comes about when we have a renewed mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see things totally different than we have ever seen them before. And so can you tell us a little bit about your season? It started back in 1985. Well, I'd been married about uh, seven years. We had two children, our daughter, who was five, and we had a son, three and a half years old. And my work was so busy that I needed to work overtime, so I would go to work early in the mornings. I'd leave out while everybody was still asleep. And so that I could be home in the evening to be with the family. And I left out on this particular fall morning, just as I always do, and uh, went to work. About mid-morning, I get a call on two-way radio that said, you need to call the office. Now, for some of you, cell phones was almost not invented at that point in time. And so you just couldn't pick up the phone. And so... I had to go find a phone where I could call in and uh, found a pay phone. I called in and they said, you need to rush home. Says there's been an accident with your son and just get home. And I said, well, what happened? And said, just get home. That's all my supervisor would tell me. So I left and where I was working at was about 45 minutes from uh, my house. And so I drove, and as I was driving, I was praying. I said, Lord, I said, what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. I said, it sounds like Joshua's been hurt. And I kept asking, I said, Lord, I said, take care of him. Protect him. And the further I went, my deals with God, I was going, look, if he's crippled, you know, got me a wheelchair, I'm good with that. And so... I was just praying to the Lord, just with my heart just pleading out because I didn't know what was going on. And so as I come down the road that uh, I live on, I saw 
sheriff's car, highway patrol, fire trucks, ambulance, and rescue vehicles. And immediately I go, he's dead. And so as I pulled up, my father come running up to me and just hugged me and started crying. He said, he said, Joshua's dead. And at that point in time, for most people, it would be a moment of breaking. But for me, what happened in that moment was God just come into the situation. And he, one of the few times he just kind of, it's like an auditable voice that he just spoke to me. But it was just an impression within my spirit that it was just so real and so clear. He said, this is meant to destroy you, but I'm going to bring glory and honor out of this situation. And then he just flooded my whole being with a peace that is only described as the peace of God. That when you get in these situations where God just gives you the ability to get through these hard situations. And so... What should have been me breaking down and just falling apart, what happened was I immediately started trying to minister to my father because of what happened that morning. There was an accident where my father and son was involved and my son was killed. And so my daddy was just broken, and I just felt like I needed to minister to him in this time. And so I told him, I said, it's okay, Dad. I forgive you. I don't hold nothing against you. And so me and my wife, we started hugging, just crying, just in agony over the pain that we was feeling. And so as the days went on, we had some of Job's counselors come to us, trying to console us, but in a worse way. And... We just started, as a family, started pulling together. We started reading scripture and just asking God, show us, give us something to hold on to. And the Lord would give us a verse and we would share it amongst us. But there was a time for my wife where in those days, she was just so devastated by what had happened. She was so hurt. As a mother, having born the child, delivered carried the child and delivered it. There's a special bond there between mother and child. And she just, she just, she had my daughter go in a room and was playing in her room and she went to the other end of the house or our bathroom, shut the door and just cried out to God. And just, why Lord, why, why? And she said in that moment that God stepped into that little bathroom and he says, I physically felt God's arms wrap around me and hold me. I could feel God. And she said for the first time in her life, she knew what it was to have a father hug her. Because she had lost her father when she was very young. And she grew up without knowing what a father's love was. And so in that moment, she experienced God just pouring his love out on her and started healing the brokenness within her. And just causing her just to have a trust that he was going to do something in this situation. And in these times, it's hard to understand. You can ask God why, but you don't get answers most of the time. And so we just, we just as a family, kind of drew together 
And we just felt God's presence, his word, and him pouring his love out on us. We started healing, slowly but surely. And so I was in the woods one day praying, because I like to go just sit down underneath a tree and pray. And as I was praying, I, I was just talking to the Lord, telling him about my hurt. And I would just, I would just tell him how bad I felt. And I remember James Dotson at that time had put out a little sermon and said, when God, when God doesn't make sense. And he was saying, in that time, he says, You're, it's okay for you to ask God the tough questions. And you know, having been raised in church, in a very conservative church, it was you don't ask God questions. You just take it for what it is. It's like lightning was going to fall out of the sky if you asked God a tough question. And he couldn't answer it, so he'd just beat you over the head or he'd just incinerate you. But what I found out in that time is that you can ask God hard questions and he's going to come to you and, and he is going to minister to you and give you answers for some of those tough questions. And if he doesn't give you the answers, he's going to give you the peace that you need to get through the situation. And that's what he did for me. He just gave me a peace. And then it reminded me of a prayer I'd prayed years before. Because right after I got married, I was out in the woods praying one day. And I was just saying, Lord, I said, I'm married now. I said, I want to have children. I said, I want, I want a girl. I want a boy. I want one of them to be left-handed. And I want twins. Now you ask why that list. I have no clue. I just knew I wanted a daughter. I think left-handed people are cool people. Okay, for you left-handers, you're cool. And my daughter is left-handed. I had my son Joshua. And he said, the twins you asked for, I'm going to give them to you now. Your wife's going to get pregnant, and you're going to have twins. And so I come back from that time with the Lord, and I walked in. I said, honey, you're going to have twins. And she said, what are you talking about? And I told her about my prayer that I had prayed to the Lord. And she said, I need to start screening your prayers more often. <laughs> and so sure enough, in the months to come, uh, she got pregnant. And as the months progressed, her stomach became there's no good way of saying it you totally butchered in the first service just go for it in this one too i'm trying to learn from my mistakes sir. there you go so anyway my wife's stomach began to get larger and larger <laughs> and she would go to the doctor and uh, i would go periodically with her and i said i said do you see the twins in there and i go what twin i said god's told me you, she's gonna have twins and, she, and so they would do the sonograms and go no there's only one in here i said well there's twins in there you just need to look again they go, well, we don't hear but one heartbeat. I said, there's twins in there. This went on for seven months. And in the seventh month, I went back with her to the doctor. And when we got to the, doc we got to the doctor's office, the doctor wanted to do the sonogram himself. Because he knew where I'd been telling those twins. And he kept, everybody kept saying, no, there wasn't. So anyway, I mean, he hadn't more than put the little thing on her stomach and he goes, where did you come from? <laughs> and he saw Joseph. Because Joseph was in this little ball up underneath Jordan. 
And he was just this, even when he come out, he was in a ball. I mean, he, he was just this all wadded up because he was so confined because Jordan just laid across his mother. And I played with him for a week because you could unroll him and he would pop back. <laughs> it was the most fun thing I ever done. And so... Anyway, when he, when, he saw, when he finally saw it, he goes, yeah, I said, I've been waiting on y'all to realize what God has promised he was going to do. And so the Lord gave me a set of twin, twin boys. And the Lord just tremendously blessed us. And when the twins come along and as they was growing up, they spent a lot of time with my father because we lived on a farm. And they would go down there and they'd help him feed the animals. And they just, it was just with him. And my father, he told me one day in his country way, he said, those boys are like sad on a sore wound. They healed it. And for daddy, the agony of what happened to him was healed. And so I just, I started seeing how even in the difficult times in our life, God wants to minister and come be with us but he's also wanting to give us blessing out of it. For what the enemy wants to steal from you, God's wanting to bless you. And in my case, he double blessed me with two boys. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I hear in church so often that I just, it's one of those statements I despise, is God allows things to happen in your life and I, that term I do not like because how can a God who is loving, kind, merciful, gracious allow something horrible to happen to you to get you to a point where he wants you? That's manipulation. That is not love. And my God that I serve is a God of love. Amen. And at that point in time in my life when I lost Joshua in that accident, I was just playing church. I would go because it was a thing to do. And I was watching my wife. She was growing in the Lord. But I was just going to church. We'd go on Sundays, and that was it. And the thought would come through my mind, God allowed this to happen so that he'd get me back in church and start following after him. But it wasn't that at all. God wanted me pursuing him all along. He just took this situation which... The enemy, Satan, wanting to destroy my family and destroy us, he was trying to do his part, but God was there to help us get through this and protect us. Why it happened, I don't know. I've asked that question, but God never really gave me a clear and definitive answer. I've seen good things that come from it. But I can't say that that's the reason he, he worked through this situation. Because God doesn't allow He just works in the, in the hard parts of our life. Yeah, I want to I stop you here, and I want to let them see this. And then I've got a question for you that I want you to go off on. Did you guys hear what he just said? Some of you are sitting in here, and you have been told this, you have been taught this, that God does these things right here. He does these things to bring you back to him. And you said something in the first service, if you can remember, I want you to say it again, that God, that's, that's how our God works, that he doesn't do harmful, hurtful, 
things to us. He's a loving God, and he doesn't do those things to us to bring him back to us. Do you remember what you said? Not completely. Well, it's something like that. It was really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what kind of God is going to hurt you or cause harm in your life because he wants you back? It's just not the way God works. But who is at work? And this is where I want you to expand a little bit because we've been talking about families. Um, for those of you who want more of this, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and more Mondays in the West Auditorium, Jonathan's going to be there. He's going to be sharing with Pastor Brent, and we're going to be unpacking more of this stuff tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. But I want you to talk about who, who is the cause of this, like who wants these things to happen in our life um, because of this reason. This thing that we're calling life, my let's just say I, I have 80 good years in me. It's not about me, and it's not about packing in as much fun and stuff into 80 years as I possibly can. What this life is about is setting up future generations to come. The way I live and have my being today is going to affect and set up future generations, my grandchildren who do not even exist yet. The way I handle these moments The way I respond to these times is going to have a great impact on future generations. What we have to do in our renewing of our mind, the way we see things completely different, we have to understand that we're not living life just for this moment, but we're living for future generations to come. The way we move and have our being today is going to take part in changing this entire community's atmosphere and culture. And it may not be done over the next 40 years of my life, but it may be done, Lord willing, over the next 400. Does that make sense? Satan knew that there was a man of God at work in this life and in this community and Satan wanted to destroy it. And so can you share that part of it? My father came to know the Lord when he was 21 years old and he is a first generation Christian. And he came to know the Lord not by anybody telling him about it. He just picked the Bible up one day, was reading it and was so convicted that he just accepted the Lord right there. And in that time of his life, the Lord asked of sacrifice of him. And the sacrifice was, he's, he's been a farmer all his life. And he had three acres of tobacco. And the Lord told him, says, we want you, I want you to let it rot in the field because I don't want you to harvest it. Now, that's not saying that it's wrong for farmers to raise tobacco. It's just what God asked of my father. And so he said, okay, I will. And when he told his family what he was going to do, he was labeled an idiot, crazy, and everything else. And they said, let us harvest it. And he said, no, I have been told to let it rot in the field. I paid for it. I planted it. I've taken care of it. I'm letting it rot. And so our neighborhood around here and his family watched three acres of tobacco rot in the field. And that is a big thing here in this here community. But it was what God called of him and he did it. Well, what I have seen of recent is, is that my father began a spiritual legacy that 
began at his salvation and being obedient to what God called him to do. And as he passed off that legacy to me and that faith that he had, he passed off to me. And I can see now where I have increased in my knowledge of who Christ is, in my faith, in my walk with the Lord, in a double portion than what he has. And I mean, my God, my father is such a man of faith. I remember a story he, he told me when he was in his 70s. I mean, until five years ago, he was still raising cows, still farming. And he's turning 80 this year. But around about five years ago, he had a bull that he needed to take to the market. And I wasn't around to help him. It was just him and mother. And he had got the bull in the corral and he had uh, he backed the trailer up there and he said, he said he just stopped because the bull was very agitated. He knew that they were fixing to get hurt. And he said, he just stopped. Him and mother held hands and he just said, Lord, we can't do this, but you can. We need your help in putting that bull on the trailer. And he said when he looked up, he said that bull that had been running around agitated just stopped, dropped its head, and walked onto the trailer and stood there and did not move. He put the, the gate on the back of the trailer, drove it all the way to Siler City, backed up to the unloading dock. The bull's head was still dropped, standing in the same place that he walked on, and he told it, says, get off, and the bull turned around and walked off. <laughs> so I'm telling you, my father created an atmosphere of faith, trust in the Lord that he passed off on to me. And what I've realized is that I am in turn passing off that spiritual legacy to my children. And what I have is going to be multiplied even more in my children. And what I realize is, is that this moment in this season of my life, God wanted, I mean, Satan wanted to stop the family legacy from being passed on. He wanted to come in and destroy our family because he despises family because that is what we are in Christ Jesus. We are a family and he hates it. And so he does everything he can in families to destroy them, in marriages, in children rebelling against the Lord and falling after, in having deaths come along. In all aspects of life, he's trying to destroy your family. Because he, he knows that if you pass off that legacy, that it's just going to multiply, triple, quadruple, and just keep on multiplying in the generations as it's passed on. And what I have realized is I have to work really hard at making sure that this is passed to the next generation, that my children pass it on to their children. I even see in my grandchildren an awakening at five years old of the prophetic. And their, her faith when she prays is just unbelievable at her age. And so I see a multiplication that has already taken place and that will continue. But understand, Satan's trying to destroy you so you cannot pass this on. We must pass on the spiritual legacy to our children so that they can pass it on to their children so that they can pass it on to their children so this just continues to grow. Amen. That's good. That's good. I want to uh, 
this thing's just turned a little different direction right here after what you just said. Um, I, I'm, uh, we're we're, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our families. We're, we're going to pray for our children. We're going to pray for future generations that are not even alive yet. And that's what we're going to do now. You've heard some of his story. Again, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, he's going to share some more depth. But can I just tell you something? <clears throat> this is just a season of life. And I want to pinpoint the fact that this began in 1985. This is not something that is quick. This is not something that is rapid. It may not increase on your time frame. My friends, we have to endure and love the journey. We have to learn to cry well. We have to learn to fight well. We have to learn how to yell and scream at God well. Don't be afraid of him. You can share anything you want. Do not think that I am a man of perfection. I am very flawed. Hmm. A few years ago, my wife took a trip with my daughter and a friend of hers to Thailand. And while over there, she ate some food that give her a parasite. And she come back in pain, misery, and hurting. And it took years of medication to finally eliminate the parasite but what it's done is it's left her still in pain in her joints her muscles her feet they're just in pain and I, I come home and I I'll see my wife and I say how's your day and she'll say okay and I can see the pain and misery on her and this has been going on for years and about two years ago I'm just praying Lord heal my wife touch her. I don't want to see this her in its agony. I don't want to go home. I want to go home to a wife that's happy and glad I'm home instead of one that's just in misery and hurting. And he never answered the prayer. I just finally one day I said, God, I am not doing this no more. I am not serving you until you heal my wife. And I was, I was in misery for months of the rejection of my father. But understand, he didn't bring harm on me. He didn't cause pain to come across me. He didn't hit me over the head because I took and bucked against him. But over that period of time, he allowed me through scripture, through songs, through sermons, through different things. He just brought me back to himself. And finally, I just said, God, I can't deal with it no more. I'm good. If you don't heal my wife, you're still a good God. And just last week, I was praying again and just in frustration of seeing my wife in so much pain. I said, God, I don't understand what you're doing in my life. This is so hurting us. And in that time... Because one of the things I have realized is that when I get real and raw with God, that is when He shows up and He speaks to me the most powerful. His presence is so clear when I am so honest and open with Him. And He just come in last week and He said, "If when I am a mystery, am I still a good God? 
Because there is things in our life that we don't understand. We ask God, why is this happening? It is a total mystery to us. Why he's not changing the situation. And I told him, I said, yes, you're still a good God. He said, when Joseph was in prison because his brothers had sold him into slavery, was I a mystery to Joseph? I said, yes. Was I still good? I said, yeah, because now we can see how his story played out, how God used those times when he was in prison to allow him to grow and to become the man he needed to be to rule a nation. He said, when David was running from Saul, was I a mystery to David? I said, I would have to say you were. But don't you see that during those times, I was preparing David to become king of Israel. He didn't understand it, but I was still a good God. And it reminded me of Hosea. I told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. And she left him. And he had to go back and pay the price of a slave to get his wife back. Do you think I was a mystery to Hosea? I said, yes. But when he bought his wife back, Gomer, he told her, he said, no longer will you call me master, though I have bought you back. You will call me husband because I love you. And that is the way it is with God. God bought us with a price. He paid for us when we were running from Him, when we rejected Him. He bought us back with a price and He says, you're not going to call me master. I am your husband. You are my bride. And I love you. Understand, I have failed many times. My children, my wife. God But because of the love that God has for me, He does not hit me over the head. He does not cause harm to come upon me. He just extends His love to me each and every day so that I can see how good He is. Listen, he doesn't want this, but he has to, he's going to get it, and you can, we can deal with it later. But I want you to honor him because he's been a vessel from the Lord today, and he's been obedient to share with you. Him and his wife, Diane, he's getting ready to go off, and he's going to pray over some of you this morning before we leave this place. So, we, again, just forgive me for doing this. Thank you for being obedient. Thank you for being used. And we give him honor this morning for doing just that.